Hello, everyone. Shannon Tipton here, owner of Learning Rebels, where we strategically fix training that's broken and develop workplace learning that delivers desired business results. Today, we hosted a Learning Rebels live interview with Mike Taylor. And if you don't know Mike, let's just say he is the guru, the thought leader about the what, how, and why of content curation. Mike and I have been friends for many years, and I thought it was about time to learn his backstory, to learn more about his path to L&D, and more specifically, his path to content curation. How did he get there from here and become one of L&D's most trusted resources for information? Well, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Rebels Live. And today we have Mike Taylor with us. So everybody give some jazz hands for Mike Taylor. I always love talking to Mike. Mike and I have known each other for what feels like a million years. In a very good way. In a very good way. And like most of my good friends in this community, we met on Twitter. Oh, I'm sorry. The app formerly Formerly known known as Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then we found each other at conferences, you know, and our friendship, I think, just built from there. And it's been really exciting to see the work that Mike has been doing. Mike, you currently are at uh, Nationwide. Right. And I'm just going to let you go ahead and give us the spiel, the update on who you are and where you're at. Like you said, I'm working at Nationwide in a cybersecurity part of the company. So that's filling my days. And then evenings I teach at the Franklin University graduate program for instructional design and performance technology. So love doing that as well. And then try to steal some some free time to do things like this and keep up with all the happenings and, and goings on are in the in the learning world. That's fabulous. And then also we were talking about this before we went live. I don't know if anyone has seen it yet. Mike posted it. I reposted it. Mike has a model. I said here's our Oprah moment. You get a model, you get Mike's model, you get Mike's model. Everybody should get Mike's model, right? It's the curated model for curating content. So super exciting to see that come through, Mike. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it too. I think one of the cool things I like about it is you can use it for curation, but it's also you can use it for any kind of learning thing, really, because if we think about it, even formal courses and stuff we're already doing, if you think about it, it's really a form of curation, right? You start off with the goals and then you dig through this big pile of stuff and then it just comes out a different format usually in the end. But the process really, I think it's really the same, if not super, super similar. I didn't see that originally, but I see it now. It would be a great way to monitor your own self-directed learning too, right? Yeah. Absolutely, which I which I think is you know super important thing for people in our field. 
every mm -hmm. once in a while I am talking to somebody and, and I hear a version of, oh, I don't have time to learn that. And it drives me mm -hmm. crazy. <laughs> it's literally your job. It's literally your job. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's, that's one of my pet peeves. You know, and I think you and I can get on a soapbox about that. And I think we have about that particular topic. And you're right. It, it is literally our jobs to bring learning to the workforce. We're the cobbler's kids, right? We don't, we don't spend any time working on this for ourselves, which is a shame. Now, one of the things, though, that I like to get into with people who are on this show with me is understanding your personal L&D journey. So when you think about your career path, and I don't know about you, but a lot of L&D people that I talk with, they did not grow up going, oh, I want to be in corporate learning. You know, nobody has really said that unless they formally studied for instructional design, but even then they didn't know exactly what to do with it. So I'm curious, Mike, how did you find yourself in the role that you're in right now in learning and development? But I'd also be really interested in learning how you got to being the curation king, as it were. How did you, how did you get there from here? So even when I was back in grade school, when I was a kid, I, I've always been energized by the process of learning. You know, most kids are, I can't wait to get out of school. I was like, yeah, this is not so bad. This, I can do this. Like, I wasn't in any rush to get out of school. And I always thought from a young age, I would be a teacher or a professor or something that involved learning. And of course, at that point, I had no idea even what instructional design or workplace, I had no idea that that was even a thing that existed. And so I wish I could say I had this big master plan, but that's <laughs> not the case. So I went, I went to college, still not really certain, right? Like I think as a lot of people mm -hmm. that age also are dealing with. And then, so I graduated, I got a job as a, as a programmer and I loved the logic of that in solving problems, but I could not stand the feeling of being locked away in a closet by yourself and not <laughs> having any interaction <laughs> with people. I couldn't handle it. And so, you know, long story short, I was still pretty young and didn't have a lot of debt and commitments and all that sort of stuff. And I just quit because I knew that's not what I wanted to do. And right about that time, this sort of, you know, one of the serendipitous happenings along the whole path was there was a an adult education teaching job at the local vocational school. And I thought, well, here's my chance to mm -hmm. try out this whole teaching thing. And so I did that for a year or two. And then the school I was working at had a software training kind of area where they went and did software training for business. I was like, that sounds fun. And so I did that and really like that because I like, you know, sort of technology and learning and that combination. And then, so did that for a little while in the hometown where I grew up. And then I was going to Columbus every weekend because there was nothing to do in my small town. Ended up getting a software training job up there. And that sort of started me down this what I think is kind of a, a natural path of, oh, well, what about, okay, I'm delivering this stuff. What about making it and designing it and putting mm -hmm. it together? And then it's like, oh, okay. And then, well, what about building? What's, what about this online stuff? Like, let's still start building some of that stuff. And so it kind of, to me, was a natural progression because I was just curious. What about this? What about that? And then 
at some point I went back, I was like, okay, well, I, I this is what I want to do. So I went back to grad school for a second time and went through San Diego State, was in the early days of sort of online education stuff. They were one of the first that I was aware of. So did their educational technology program. And, you know, from there, it's just, it's just been sort of, I think, you know, a luck. I've been super lucky that the people that I've, you know, met and worked with and teachers and all that sort of stuff. And how can we do this? What else can we do? I think curiosity mm-hmm. and luck have been sort of the two the two key components of the path that I've taken. You know, I can relate to that. I think a lot of the commonalities across the board with other L&D professionals who do what you do or do what I do, a lot of it is driven by curiosity. There's an underpinning foundation, right? Of wanting to know about what would happen if, right? And how about if I try that? Or there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And, you know, part of that may come from me. I'm lazy and I don't want to do a bunch of extra stuff I don't have to do. So if I can be more efficient. I'm the first one in line for that stuff. So that's, that's part of it too. I think for me, (laughs) I think we all have that. (laughs) I think we all, especially as you know, we, you start to mature. I'll put it that way. As you start to mature in your careers, you're kind of looking for not an easy way out. Don't get that wrong. I don't want to, I don't want to hear from people saying that we're looking for the easy way out, but we're looking for, you know, the work smarter, not harder path. Yeah, 1,000%. Right. And I was just on a call with Kevin Yates before I hopped on this with you. And we were having that very conversation. You know, how can you do what you're passionate about without killing yourself in the meantime? Right. Yeah. I think the other common thing that, you know, is energizing for me as well is, is, you know, we're helping people. So helping them, helping other people do things smarter, not harder. Right. So it's not just for yourself, but it's others, too. And like I enjoy when I do it for myself. But if I can help other people, I enjoy that even more. That's like, you know, magnitude, order of magnitude more. You know, you multiply something times how a bunch of different people. And it's that's just a really cool thing to be able to, to influence. Now, tell me how you got specifically into curation. What was the spark, if you will, that just blew up that fire for you? Well, I mean, obviously, the curiosity we're talking about is kind of a a foundational thing, but that wouldn't have really been possible without being able to combine that with all the other great people that share what they're learning. So it sort of creates this really cool, self-fulfilling spiral of, you know, the great thing about people in general in this field is, oh, hey, I, I did this cool thing. Here's how I did it. It might help you. Here's my source files, here's my whatever. And people just sort of freely give that and, hey, do you need help? Let's jump on a call, right? That's, Mm -hmm. to me, I don't think there's a lot of professions that are that way. And it's amazing. And I'm grateful for that every day. And so, you know, knowing people like that are out there and being curious and wanting to do things better, there's this really never ending stream of opportunities to get better. And so that's a large part of it. And I've over the years, as I've matured, as you said. (laughs) Fine wine. Yes. 
you know, I've sort of evolved a pretty efficient process for kind of being able to keep tabs on a bunch of different things in uh, a relatively minimal amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I've got a friend of mine I talk to all the time. He says, I read the internet, which is not really true. <laughs> There's <laughs> a lot of scary like stuff that. I don't want to see, but the stuff, <laughs> but I feel pretty comfortable, you know, the stuff I want to keep up with, I feel pretty comfortable that I can find it or maybe a better way to say it is the way I've set up things and, and processes and stuff like that. It's more actually it finds me. Right. Is that an example of where you're in this position and like you said, there's, there's a lot of different people sharing a lot of different things. And in your mind, you went, there's gotta be a way, you know, to gather this information so I can synthesize it and then eventually share it back. I call it your information diet. Like, what are you taking in? How are you doing that? And, you know, there are some smart ways that you can not have it in six different places and it comes at random times and it's in my inbox and it's in, it's on the web and it's in this newsletter and it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. That's impossible. It's literally impossible if anybody's trying to do that. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that feeling. Mm-hmm. So just being a little bit more intentional of, I use a tool called Feedly. 99% of the stuff that, that I'm reading and sharing runs through Feedly, whether it's YouTube or blogs or email newsletters or just about anything, it all runs through there. And that gives me the ability to sort of segregate. I have a small number of A-list things. I want to see that stuff anytime there's something new. I have a little bit bigger grouping of, of B-list things. Like, you know, I want to see it. Maybe I check on it a couple times a week, but I don't, it's not really everyday level. Mm-hmm. And then I have a big giant thing that's everything else, which is that's sort of where the serendipity comes in of if I see it, I see it. If I don't, I don't care. Sometimes, you know, you hit mark all is red and start over because there's 500 things in there. And so that's been super, super helpful for me. And then the sharing part, I think the sharing part is another thing a lot of people get stuck on. And I used to be stuck on this because I think a lot of people like myself have a mindset of, oh, who am I? I'm, you know, I'm not some expert or wizard or guru or anything like that. Right. And it took me a while to get over that. And I think John Stepper has some stuff. He's talked about this too. It's like, if you're learning, then you always have something to share. And if it helps you, then it probably will help somebody else who's like Mm -hmm. you. And I think if people can shift that mindset of, oh, I'm not bragging or boasting or promoting, I'm helping. And that makes it a lot easier to, oh, then share that article that was helpful for you or, you know, reply to to somebody's article and say thanks and and sort of, you know, pay it forward. And, And that sharing part, is really huge. And, you know, even though you're sharing somebody else's, you, you sort of get the reputation of, Hey, Shannon, she, she shares really valuable things and she's adding me value. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to create all that stuff and you definitely want to give credit, but there's a lot of benefit in that kind of practice. There may be people out there who are listening and they have their own newsletters or they share things directly through LinkedIn and you're all going, am I on Mike's A list, B list or everything else list? What I appreciate, though, is the openness here, you know, because you're right. There are a lot of other industries or um, 
professions, if you will, that are very competitive, you know, and I don't want to give away my secret sauce. And certainly there are elements within L&D where you don't want to share your particular secret sauce, you know, with the world. But in general, I find it to be a very giving community, you know, and the part about who am I to share this or who am I to put this out there, I think is a real barrier for a lot of people, you know? So what would you say then is some of the other roadblocks? Well, let's talk about yourself with that, you know? So was there a particular moment in time that made you pause and say, I'm not sure how to get around this or Maybe there was something that you tried and it was like, oh, well, that was a crashing failure. So now how how do I recover from that and still move forward? I can't remember any any sort of big major thing. I mean, of course, everybody runs into those things. And two things that I always try to remember when it comes to stuff like that is nobody, if they're honest with themselves, has it all figured out. And so, you know, it's okay. It's we're in good company because nobody has all the answers all the time. It's just impossible. And, you know, I remember as long as we're doing our best and we're trying our best and we're, you know, that's all that people can ask of us. And that's all that we can Mm -hmm. ask of ourselves. I remember, I think it was eighth grade social studies test. And I was scared to death of this test and I was going to fail it and do bad and, and all of those things. And I was really worried and I couldn't sleep. And, you know, my mom came in. She's like, well, did you study? I'm like, yeah, I studied, but it's just, I'm just not, it's, I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm worried. And she's like, well, as long as you do your best, nobody's ever going to be, you know, say anything Aww. about it. And that's fine. So I still remember that from the eighth grade. It was, mom. yeah, yeah. So if you kind of keep that in mind, you don't want to make mistakes, but we will. And, you know, nobody's perfect and, you know, just do your best. Let's talk about the curated model that you put together. And you told me before we were live, you said, well, it feels like a, a million years in the making or a hundred years in the making. What got in the way? It's one of those things where the idea of like the overnight success that takes 20 years, right? Like right. you're you're marinating in this stuff for so long. And then there's this sort of light bulb moment, right? Where you you're able to sort of take all these pieces that have been floating around and sort of snap some things into place and in order and make sense of it all. Like I think sometimes we have this sort of inherent understanding that we can't explicitly relate, right? It's in there, but I can't tell you what it is. And I think it's, you know, that whole curse of knowledge sort of, sort of thing that it's in there and you do it, but you don't know why or how. Mm -hmm. And something sort of prompted me and this was, I have to give, you know, I do have to give an assist to um, chat GPT because I, I have, I was working through all these parts and pieces. I had the sections and I'm like, there's got to be a way to tie this together in a way. And so, you know, I asked chat GPT to give me an acronym that would fit these and it came out this way. And I'm like, oh, that's perfect. So <laughs> I had an AI assist. And that's okay. I think that's what one of the great things about AI, right? Is to help you. You had these thoughts in your head. And an AI assist can help you get out of your own head. And I, you know, that this is a whole topic for probably a whole other series of shows is the whole AI stuff, obviously, because it's <laughs> right. yep. the big thing now. But, you know, it's it's super useful for just a, like a thinking partner. Tell me about this or change this or it's just 
one of those things like back to sort of us, you know, don't not have time for learning stuff. Like this is one thing if, if I was in this field and haven't done this yet, I mean, I would be going there today and figure it out and play with it and be familiar mm-hmm. with it. Not that we need to be experts, but it's not going away and it's going to have a massive impact. As a matter of fact, I think it already has. Oh, I totally agree. ChatGPT specifically came out with its uh, subscription model. I was like, take my money. <laughs> I don't do that lightly. I did the same thing. I don't do like, that lightly this is a either. No-brainer. Here's my mm-hmm. money. Here's my money. And I think that ties back though, doesn't it, to your background. We're talking about programming, software, enablement, training, etc. And so I think what this does is it almost comes full circle for you, doesn't it? Yeah. And then the, the other piece that I've been excited about for a few years now that's starting to get much more mainstream is the whole idea of the workflow automation and the no-code stuff that anybody can build software, anybody can build an app and not need to code. That's another pretty exciting thing that's sort of a full circle type thing also. Now, when it comes to self-doubt, let's say self-doubt, and you have this model and you've gone to Canva or wherever you go, you know, to create the image around the model. You know me too well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that's what I would do. (laughs) So we we do have the same mind in some areas. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You should be scared. (laughs) (laughs) It's very very frightening. (laughs) And back at you. It it should be very frightening if you've got a little Uh, Shannon tipping in your head. That's that's scary stuff. That's scary stuff. So now... um, You've got the model, you've got it on your screen, and you are ready to push, you know, publish or post on it. Was there a moment where you went, I don't know, I just don't know, but here we go. No, there wasn't at all. Like, no. So I think, and I'll explain that a little bit. I think had it been back in the beginning of doing this stuff, and maybe I was new to sort of publishing and and creating stuff, I would have definitely had that. And I think I've kind of evolved to the place where everything is a beta, right? Like this is the first iteration mm-hmm. and I expect when I hit publish, I expect it to change because there will be, you know, additions and improvements and a good friend of mine texted me and called me that day. He's like, well, you know, this, that, that D, I don't know. I think maybe you could make it, you know, this other thing. And I'm not sure if it, I'm like, yes, like the conversation uh-huh. has value. And so. If there's a better way, then let's, you know, we'll improve it and change it and it'll be a evolving thing. I think that's a wonderful way of thinking about it, that everything is a beta. That- I never would ever have the audacity to claim like, here is the perfect thing. It's uh-huh. going to be, you know, perfection forever. It's like, that's just not possible. Well, how do you get to that mindset? That's what I'm curious about, because there are a lot of people out there who are, and myself included, where I've got that moment of hesitation and going, oh, I don't know what people are going to say about this. I know it's not, I know it's not perfect. If the world doesn't say it's perfect, then, you know, oh my goodness. And so you have that moment. How do you get to that mindset where Maybe. you're like, hey, the hell with it. I don't care. It's, it's everything's, everything's beta. I think I've messed up enough things and, and figured out it's not fatal. It's okay. We'll fix it and move on. Right. Like we're not trying to make mistakes. So maybe it's just for messing a lot of stuff up. Maybe that's it. Well, and again, I think that ties back to when you are in technology, when you have a background of technology, you're used to trying to break things, 
can I'm break very it good in order that. to make I it can better. Break, I can break anything, yes. <laughs> my my year has been the year of technology fail. So yes, I, I am with you. But wouldn't you say that that's true? When you're in the technology space, it's almost as though your goal is it's not to fail, but it's to make things better through finding its faults and failures and weak points. And I'll also say that I've been really super fortunate to be in environments where making mistakes was okay. Uh It wasn't, you weren't beaten down and yelled at and sort of that environment. Cause I think had I been in those type environments, I would be in a different place because of that. So I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, the opportunity to be the places where I've been when I've made all of those mistakes and, and not being punished, you know, for that. And there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole nother hour of talking about the fear of failure and, you know, accepting when you make a misstep, right? And psychological safety and all that right. whole deal, yeah. Right. But again, I think it's something where as an industry, we are good at sharing that thought with our organizations or with our teams and saying, hey, it's okay to have that moment of failure. It's okay to have a um, trip up. As long as you learn from it, it's all good. But then when it comes to ourselves, it's a whole different animal. Yeah. And so what piece of advice would you give to, especially now let's think about, you've got a lot of teachers that are transitioning into L&D right now for good or, or bad, bad for the teaching industry, good for us. You've got people who are new or newer in learning and development. You also have people who are just looking to shift their mindset So what kind of advice would you give them for accepting the failures that are inherent? I think as as long as you are always trying to help people, like nobody can ever fault, nobody can ever fault somebody for trying to help, right? Mm -hmm. So I have the best of intentions. (laughs) I'm trying to help in whatever context that is for, you know, where you work. It's really, I think it's really hard for people to, to sort of come down you or be angry or whatever disappointed with you or whatever, as long as you are driven by, hey, I'm trying to help people with good intentions. Now, mistakes happen. And like I said, they're not typically fatal (laughs) unless you're a brain surgeon (laughs) or something. And that's what we were talking about earlier. Like, I'm not trying to do this to promote myself. And the stuff that we've been talking about, right, literally anybody can do that. Anybody could read Shannon's blog post that's super helpful and share it on LinkedIn and maybe tag a couple people they think it would help and tell Shannon how great it was and thank them. Like literally anybody can do that. And it's, it's one of the things that I can't emphasize enough, the benefits of that. It's almost one of those things where you need to do it and see it for yourself before you sort of set that light bulb off and say, Oh yeah, this, this is helpful. You know, it's difficult for people in the industry because especially if you're newer in the industry, because you come up against, people like yourself, you know, who have been around for a while and and know a lot. And you're scared to put yourself out there for fear that someone's going to, you know, take you to task, right? That's the hard bit. You know, it how do we help people get over that? Going back to what we talked about sort of all of the great people in this this field in general, you know, I don't know that I've rarely have ever seen that happen. Right. So usually the fear is, is worse than the, the actuality of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So Sue, something might be wrong. And like, you know, maybe the <laughs> I don't open a can of worms by mentioning the learning styles conversation. But, you know, my experience has typically been people 
would like they want to help you so that you are corrected and you're not going down the learning styles path right like but i've majority of the time seen that in a supportive way instead of a hey i'm going to tear you down and call you an idiot and all that sort of stuff right i'm going to point you to you know will and clark and all those people that don't take my word for it there's a lot smarter people than me but just here go check this stuff out you can make your own determination i think you you might find some value over there, but mm-hmm. it's in a supportive way. Well, I think that's the benefit of curating not only knowledge, but curating your personal learning network, right? And if you see, and I've seen it, I know you have, and we don't have to share names here, but we've we've seen the people who are like, you know, they just cannot wait to jump on some unsuspecting person. And if you notice that, I don't think it should stop you. It's just for me, it's, oh, well, I know not to follow that person or I know to, you know, put that person off to the side, but don't necessarily discourage you from moving forward. Right. And, and you know, I hope anybody who's ever been on the receiving end of that, I, I hope that the supportive folks have, have outweighed mm-hmm. those negative people. And like you said, if it were me, I'm just turning that channel off. You know, you might sneak through somewhere, but I'm like, I'm not swimming in that pool. So what advice would you give to somebody to curate their personal learning network? So we talked about curating stuff. Now, what about curating people? Yeah. You know, I think that's maybe in some ways easier. You know, when you find somebody, you go to a conference session, hey, that was awesome. I want to know more of that. Or you read a book and, you know, that's something that really resonates with you. So typically those type of people will have a newsletter or a website with a blog or follow them on LinkedIn, set the notification on LinkedIn so you get notified above everybody else in your network, right? Like hit the little bell icon Mm -hmm. is a good thing. So I've got a really small number of those people, you know, when they post, I want to see it. And so it doesn't have to be a ton of people. It doesn't have to be a lot. And And the nice thing, the other thing that's super helpful, if you find somebody not to push myself, but somebody who covers a lot of other people. So it's like curate the curators. Right. So if you start yes. with one of those people, you're right off the bat covering a pretty fair amount of ground by following, you know, one or two or three people. It doesn't have to be this big, giant, massive setup and network. And I think if you start small and you pick three to five people who their stuff really resonates and you like what they have to say and the way they say it, over time, you know, that will lead to others. But just start small and, and, you know, take a bite that you can digest and don't worry about having the perfect master plan because I don't think it's even possible. Yeah. Just start small. And, and over time you'll, you'll find, oh, well, I like Shannon. So I'll, I might also like Kevin and then it organically grows that way. And then if you go to, go to conferences and I still remember, I think it was learning solutions. It might've been where I met you. I'm not sure a hundred years ago. And I checked into the hotel and out by the pool were all these people. And I'm like, oh, there's Shannon and David and Jane. And I was so excited. And I'm like, wait a minute, you never met any of those people before. But the cool thing is you already felt like you knew them because you had read so much and you had watched them and all that stuff. And, you know, and then you meet them and and you already have a sense of them. And then they're just wonderful in person as they are online. So it's a pretty cool thing. The good side of social media. Right. The good side of social media. There is, there is some warm and fuzzy out there, isn't there? Yeah, you just yeah. have to sort of know how to sort of tune your filters and filter out the, the junk. And speaking of how to filter out the junk, you're going to be doing a learn something new for 
the Learning Rebels community in October. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. And you talked about the model. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a little more detail and get down into the into the weeds and that a little bit. And I'm a sort of learning dork, nerd, geek, whatever you want to call it. But mm-hmm. when I get into that, then it'll go to another level of uh, nerdiness. I look forward to an hour and a half of Mike Taylor nerdiness. I think that's going to be an awesome, <laughs> an awesome experience. <laughs> well, before we conclude, and thank you for sharing all of that with us. If you remember the actor studio, if you ever watched the actor studio, mm-hmm. uh, James Lipton used to close the session with his actors with the Proust questionnaire. It was a rapid fire questionnaire. And what I did is I sort of a uh, learning rubbleified. Yeah, that's a word now. Yeah, it is now. Learning rubbleified <laughs> uh, the questionnaire. And so I have 10 rapid fire questions for you, Mike. And let's see, let's see where we go. Are you ready? Uh, as ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> all right. Now, considering the first question, now, considering all of the different tools that you use throughout the course of a day, week, or month from development to curation to graphic design to AI, et cetera, all the different tools, what is your favorite tool to use? Feedly. What is your least favorite tool to use? X. Well, I think it just makes me sad of where it was and where it is. So maybe it's not my least favorite, but it makes me the saddest. Oh, that's a good answer. I agree. What is the skill every L&D professional needs to have? I'm going to cheat and say to curiosity and empathy. What skill do you think is overrated? Formal education in learning instructional design stuff. Okay. I'll just leave it at that. I thought I, there was a space there yeah, for you yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh, like a travel guide. Ooh, yes. Yes, please. And what profession would you not like to do? An accountant. An accountant. Oh, my gosh. Did Numbers. not get out no. of accounting classes fast enough when I was in school. But I hear no you. I appreciate the people who do do it. Nothing against accountants. Not my strength. Gotcha. Who is your favorite superhero? Uh, Iron Man. And your least favorite superhero? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Batman. Batman. Okay. And what makes you laugh? Oh, just about everything. I think don't take myself or, or most things too seriously. So I think I laugh pretty easily. Or at least I like to think so. You do. I love that about you. All right. And in a perfect world... What L&D practice would you change? Ooh, save the toughest one for last. People putting the bullet points of learning objectives in the front of anything. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You just spoke to my heart when you said that one. Yes. Yes. All the things. Yes. Nobody cares. Nobody, Nobody cares except for us. <laughs> just putting people to sleep. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that, Mike. And uh, for those of you watching, listening, we've got Mike's newsletter there on the screen. But for those of you who are listening later, all of Mike's information will be in the show notes. So you'll be able to find information about Mike. Mike, right now, where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm pretty easy to find online. I am still on X or Twitter or formerly whatever at TMikeT. I share a lot of stuff on LinkedIn and My website is mike-taylor.org, so pretty easy to find. 
Great. Well, thank you for that. Uh, the Learn Something New information will be up on the Learning Rebels website today, and that will be uh, in mid-October. So I look forward to hosting you there, and I look forward to hopefully having those of you who are watching and listening attending. Also, we have our Learn Something New on the 20th next week with Kevin Yates, where he is bringing his L&D detective to life. And so I look forward to having Kevin share all of that wonderful information. I'm sure that's going to be a lot of fun. And as always, the Learning Rebels community where you can get all of this information and more through a cohort of peers that are just like you looking to learn something new. Thank you, Mike. It was, it was great having this conversation with you. Thank you for spending your time with me today. My pleasure, Shannon. Always a treat to, to get to hang out and talk with you a little bit. Oh, you're just wonderful. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you again soon, hopefully in person. Absolutely. Fingers crossed that happens sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Well, for everybody out there, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now. We'll see you again soon. Well, there you have it. The story of Mike Taylor. I think it goes to show that you never really stray too far from your roots. It's clear his background in computer programming was the silent foundation for his career path with IT training and training in cybersecurity. It also gave him a deeper understanding of how the internet works and how he can get the internet to work for him rather than the other way around. His relentless curious mindset took him down this current path. But I also think that it's worthwhile mentioning Mike's overall positive mental attitude. His attitude about not being caught up in barriers and about accepting how everything is just beta in progress is so inspiring. What I take from this is that we all have something in our backgrounds to help us forge a path. While it might not be immediately apparent, it's there. All we need to do is listen and be aware. So I hope that Mike's path to explore the unexplored and to pay attention to your curious mind helps you to treat all of your discoveries as beta and that nothing will be perfect the first time around. Just enjoy the ride. And while you're on that road to discovery and allowing your curious mind to explore, check out the Learning Rebels community where we focus on building L&D capability and strengthen your overall connections and relationships. You can find the link for the Learning Rebels community in the show notes below. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. For more content like this, or to begin your own podcasting journey, head on over to obsidian-productions.com.